This is thatsinthebible.com. That's in the Bible, episode 38, questions and answers number one, recorded live. Times are here, filling men's hearts with fear. Freedoms we all hold dear, now is at stake. Humbling your hearts to God, saves from the chastening rod. Seek the way pilgrims trod, Christians away. And welcome to That's in the Bible. Glad you could join us today. And we are coming to you with a special edition of That's in the Bible. We have an episode that we recorded live, and we were able to take phone calls. We were able to also answer questions from a chat room. Now, we use the talk show host for this episode. So, um, the sound quality itself is not the greatest, not what we usually are able to do with. Uh, studio mics and also by using Skype but the advantage was we were able to uh, take live phone calls as I said and also to answer some questions from the chat room so we thought it was worthwhile and I think that you'll there'll be some things and some questions that were posed and answered that um, you might find helpful and interesting so we're going to present that today and it runs about an hour so a little over an hour I think so we're gonna have uh, we're gonna put that on right now, so we won't uh, delay. And here it is. Enjoy. Welcome everyone to our first uh, live podcast recording of that's in the Bible. And thank you for joining us. And joining us is the regular crew. We've got uh, Matthew joining us, and also Pastor Strobel, Pastor Steve, and also my hometown pastor here, Pastor Matt, is also here. And for you guests that are here, we, we welcome you. So nobody on the phone here signaled in to uh, say that they have a question yet. So I thought maybe we would just have Pastor Matt since he has a, uh, actually he's encountered some, some folks that have some beliefs that I think he was just looking for some, some feedback on uh, some other things he might be able to tell them. Yeah, just looking, looking for some help. Um, maybe I can maybe make a little clearer because I was kind of caught off guard just given the question. Um, someone came to me and they told me that, uh, that the Jews are the real Christians. And I said, what are you talking about? I said, you know, the Jews, they don't even believe in Jesus. They're not even saved. And they said, well, there's some things in the Bible you don't know. And they said, there's some covenants that, that, that apparently they, you know, they said I didn't know about. And, uh, and they said, all Jews are saved. And, you know, I know that all Jews aren't saved because I know in Romans chapter 10, verse, you know, 1 and 2, Paul's in my heart's desire and prayer to God that Israel uh, might be saved. That he had a burden, he took this, you know, gospel to the Jews and took it to the Gentiles. And, um, and also we find Jesus preaching, you know, to the Pharisees. And they were obviously Jews, but they were religious, but they didn't receive the Messiah. And then we find Jesus talked to uh, Nicodemus. He said, you must be born again. Uh, but I guess my question is, um, is how do, where do people, if you have any idea where people really get that, that all Jews are saved, um, and I believe it's covenant theology, but I really don't know a whole lot. I really haven't dealt with much of that. I know it's being being taught a lot in a lot of schools and seminaries and things like that, uh, and obviously it's false, but I don't really know much, to, you know, if I went into a deeper debate with someone, I don't know, you know, really what, what they're going to bring out. Well, nothing like starting off with a nice, easy question. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, that's why we brought you in, Pastor Matt, in case we had any questions like that. We were going to have you answer. <laughs> I, I just well, want to—I'll just throw something in real quick and then turn it over to Steve. Um, but uh, obviously, I do concur that that Israel, as as individuals, they are not automatically saved. Um, Romans eleven twenty six says, "And so all Israel shall be saved." That's a future reference to Israel being saved uh, in the future. And the covenant that God made with Israel as a nation, even in the Old Testament, did not mean that every individual Jew was saved, whether in the Old Testament or the New Testament. Uh, Everybody still, and every one of us, shall still give account of himself to God. Um, I I did come to a, a missionary to the Jews, um, John Sapter, not uh, just actually just earlier today, and he mentioned about um, about just like how you said it's a, it's a future thing, and he said that something like two thirds of, of Jews are going to be killed off, and and, uh, and of course that's a future thing. So those I guess that are Jews now wouldn't really wouldn't affect them, you know, or the, those in the past. But I, I just I mean I like I said I just don't know much about the whole covenant theology and, and where they get that get that from. And I guess they're and unless they're just taking, you know, covenants that God made with his people, you know. Well covenant theology is is more of the church taking the promises of Israel and, and applying them to themselves. That's covenant theology. Oh, um, you don't think that that's what he was talking about? No, no, that would be uh, uh some uh Churches that that are taking all of the promises of the Jews and applying them to themselves—that's covenant theology. What you have here is, is kind of an offshoot of, of something else, and it's it's definitely not covenant theology. But all right. as Pastor Strobel said there in Romans chapter eleven, verse twenty-six, as it points out, it's a future thing, and and it there is a time uh, in the tribulation when the Jews have been persecuted and the Messiah comes back in, in the Battle of Armageddon, and uh, those that have endured to the end shall be saved. They will go from the tribulation alive into the millennium. Uh, so my understanding of that, and I could be wrong, but my understanding of that is that's what that reference is in, in, in uh, Romans chapter 11, because he's, he's put Israel aside during the time of the Gentiles, when the church is raptured out, then God begins to deal with the Jews again, which is what the tribulation is all about, Jacob going through his trouble. And then uh, at the end of the tribulation, uh, all Israel uh, the, you know, will be saved at that time. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head if there's another scripture or something floating around. I can't, can't bring it to mind right now. There's uh, um, Deuteronomy chapter 4, Steve. And, yeah. Uh, Go ahead, man. Go ahead. Well, Deuteronomy chapter 4, um, verse 30, it's talking about the Jews, and it says, When thou art in tribulation, and all these things are come upon thee, even in the latter days, if thou turn to the Lord thy God, and shalt be obedient unto his voice, for the Lord thy God is merciful God, he will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor forget the covenant of thy fathers, which he swear unto them. Right. Uh, right. So he's talking about, you know, when you're in tribulation, which is, you know, of course, the, the tribulation there, uh, you know, and you turn back to him that he won't forget that covenant, you know, but that covenant won't come back until after uh, the tribulation. 
And if I could add, too, uh, I'm going to keep reading a little further in Romans chapter 11. I'll start with verse 26 again. It says, And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, There shall come out of Zion the Deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. Right. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. And uh, the idea, again, is right now Israel is blinded, as uh, Steve has mentioned. They, they don't see uh, the light of the glorious gospel doesn't shine to them as much as it does to Gentiles. This is not to say that uh, individual Jews can't be saved. They were in the New Testament, and they continue to be saved. But by and large, the bride is, uh, is Gentile. And then uh, God uh, restores the relationship with Israel um, in the tribulation time, and as uh, Brother Steve mentioned, carry it, carrying it on over into the millennial reign. And I've, I've got another verse on that, too, just going over with what Steve was saying, too, about you know refining them in the tribulation with the fire. Uh, Zechariah chapter 13, verse 8 says, And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, and the third uh, right. shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through the fire, talking about the tribulation, and I will refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call my name, and I will hear them. I will say it as my people, and they shall say the Lord is my God. Well, that's, that, that's probably the, uh, what they were talking about, that covenant that you, that you mentioned there, and I believe Romans 11. Um, I just know that, you know, this is, uh, I mean, I think, I think, uh, John Haggy's one of the people that preached this and, and, uh, and a lot of, a lot of, a lot of people are preaching this and I guess maybe I think one idea that, that, uh, this idea is about is obviously, you know, these are, God has a love for Israel, you know, and, uh, and, you know, saying how we attack, uh, God, he attacks the children, also attacks, you know, attacks Israel and whom, and whom he loves. So uh, I just know that that seems to be a growing, a growing belief. And it's gonna, well, if people believe that, they're obviously not going to even see a need to witness the Jews. Well, let me ask you a question, Matt, uh, Pastor Matt. Um, when you say this, at the beginning, did you say that the, the Jews were the Christians? Is that what the statement was? I did. The person that, that talked to me said that. They said these are the they said they're the true Christians and I, I said they're okay. they're not even they don't even believe in Christ, you know. Well you know, you could go to to First Corinthians chapter ten and, and it shows you that they're they're different. Um in First Corinthians chapter ten, verse thirty two it says, Give none offense neither to the Jews nor to the Gentiles nor to the Church of God. So, showing you that the Jews are not the Church of God or the Christians. Yes. So, they're, they're separate altogether. I mean, you know, a lot of people can say what they want, but, you know, if you've got a verse in this, of Scripture that's contradicting their, you know, primary statement, <laughs> uh, you know, you just have to kind of let them go ahead and say what they want to say. But, uh, you know, the Jews aren't Christians unless they trust Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Then they're neither Jew nor Gentile. They're, uh, uh, they're the Church of God. So, I don't know if that clears up anything else, but, I mean, you know, at least it might give you an answer for that person if you're talking to them again. The other thing I would just like to say, too, is, like, if you look in Acts chapter 13, verse 46, uh, 
It says, then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, talking about the Jews. But seeing you put it far from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. So right. I'm saying that, you know, the nation is, uh, uh, as a whole, is the Jews, that they're, you know, they, they don't, you know, find themselves worthy of everlasting life right now. And uh, so, you know, what Romans chapter 11 says, we're in the times of the Gentiles, and when the, t- you know, fullness of the Gentiles will become in, uh, which will be when the church is raptured out, then the tribulation will start, and God will refine them in that fire, and, and then that's when we'll call upon the Lord after the tribulation's over with. Amen. Well, I'm, I'm satisfied with your uh, with your answers. Uh, like I'm saying, it was just, someone that, uh, just something I just encountered just the other day, and I uh, just wanted a little bit of help on it. Amen. Amen. If you're in the chat room, you can you should be able to just type in the chat. And if you are um, on the phone, if you press star eight and you want to talk, that will signal to me to bring in the, the, the chat. Now, if no one responds, I got another question. So, <laughs> let's do it. Fire away. You want to do it? Yeah, sure. All right. Turn turn in your Bible to Second Samuel chapter 12 and verse 31. This is actually another pastor that called me the other day and asked me this question. He said one of his members had asked him this. What is it again? Second uh, Samuel chapter 12 verse 31. And uh, the men asked um, if this was a if this was God commanding these people to be to be tortured, and if so, we asked why would why would God do something like this? Um, I'll have Brother Eric. You got it. So what? Yeah. Well, someone read it. I don't. I don't have it. I have it yet. Got my computer actually. Second Samuel twelve thirty one. Yeah. Yep. All right. Picking right at that verse, it says, "And he brought forth the people that were therein, and put them under saws and under harrows of iron, and under axes of iron, and made them pass through the brick kiln. And thus did he unto all the cities of the children of Ammon. So David and all the people returned unto Jerusalem." Would, uh, I could be wrong, but. Don't you think that's just putting them under servitude, that some of them had to use axes of iron and others had to use saws to do servile work for them? I mean, I know that... Well, I mean, that's what it sounds like in, in, in I guess, in the passage in Chronicles. Um, and that's what I think. That's why it was a two-part question there. It, it, it was, this, was this them being killed, or was this them, uh, them being slaves? Um I mean, it made them pass through uh, Brooklyn, you know. Is that them making the bricks, or is that them actually being put in the flames that bake the bricks? Well, put them through the brick kilns. I mean, obviously, they have to place them into the, into the furnace to, in order for them to heat up to, to do their job. So, you know, you could say that they were, you know, operating the furnaces and so forth. I mean, that's probably just an old way of saying that, but I don't know that that's means that they were torturing them and burning them to death and saw them asunder and, and hacking them with axes and things. 
right? I mean, like I said, I, I didn't, I didn't know for sure. Another thing, you know, is we often do find uh, uh, God as uh, as His judgment upon upon nations and upon cities. You know, uh, that'll have. You know, I think of Achan, even one of the Jews, as as when Achan had stolen from Jericho, uh, and he hid the silver and gold and the garments, and uh, he was stoned and uh, and his family. Well, let me let me just back up and deal with the uh, first part of that question right. first, because um, the cross reference, the parallel passage in Chronicles, uh, puts it this way: It says, "And he brought out the people that were in it and cut them with saws, and with harrows of iron, and with axes. Even so, dealt uh, David with all the cities of the children of Ammon, and David and all the people returned to Jerusalem." So, I, I, I like Steve's answer because it really gets us out of trouble. But First Chronicles puts us right back in trouble. Yeah, I, I guess so. To, I just want to say that um, uh, we don't read anywhere where God commanded them to go to that extreme. They, the Lord may have uh, led them against the city uh, and they're conquering, but a lot of times people in battle, as we've seen, you know, go uh, beyond what their uh, parameters of, um, of war are and uh, take things to extremes. And uh, then they wind up in trouble for that. And, and I don't see where the Lord, again, is telling them to all right, go, go make it this difficult on them. Uh, it seems like perhaps guys wound up taking some matters into their own hands. Nonetheless, the Lord still told them to go and, uh, and many times, like he told them to go slay the Amalekites uh, utterly. Right. Um, maybe, this were, maybe these were their weapons. Uh, of choice, they grabbed what they could. Maybe it was a big hand-to-hand combat. I'm not sure, but war is never pretty, at one way or the other. Mm-hmm. How's that? That uh, that sounds good. That sounds good. Um, I know that actually last year, me and uh, brother Eric, we were uh, witnessing at the uh, at the speed fest here in Binghamton, and uh, we had some uh, some satellites something to do come to our booth and really was trying to, you know, kind of hackle us, I guess. And uh, I know I was talking to one, brother Eric was talking with the other one, but the guy that I was talking with, he was, uh, he kept on talking about um, the God of the Old Testament is a God of, you know, a horrible, wicked God, an evil God that, uh, that you know, and that's, and he's saying that we shouldn't, you know, because obviously he's trying to, you know, put off, you know, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and stuff like that, you know, and, and the sin of homosexuality. Um, but, uh, but in, in that sense, I know that, you know, some people look to God and they say, why would God send, uh, you know, send people to an eternal, eternal hell? And they think of God as being, a, being just a, a God of, of just all love. And, uh, and, uh, there is no, no, uh, no wrath to God. What would you say to, to, I guess, the guy that would, that would kind of take that Uh, well, I'll, I'll go ahead and answer uh, for now, but it's, that is a very common thing that people uh, bring up, and it's something that people have a hard time reconciling in their mind with, okay, God, on the one hand, claiming to be a God of love, and on the other hand, um, you know, you have all these bad things that happen, uh, and sometimes they happen because, according to the Scriptures, God's sending um, a judgment. And they do make a distinction sometimes between the Old Testament God of wrath and you know, in the New Testament uh, God of love or however they want to put it. 
<clears throat> but um, that may have even mentioned in one of our recent uh, pod- podcasts. Uh, the Lord did not have a facelift in the New Testament and, and, and a transformation. His character is still the same in the Old Testament as it is in the New Testament. Uh, the mercy of God is revealed all the way back in the Old Testament. The, the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, inside of it, it had a mercy seat. Um, his, read Psalm 136 if you want to find out all about God's mercy, where it says in uh, every verse, His mercy endureth forever. Uh, he starts out in Genesis 19, 19. Um, uh, well, actually, that's, that's not a reference to the mercy of God, but, but uh, Genesis 24 and verse 27 is where I want to go. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left my master, uh, left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth. His mercy, God's mercy. He's a, he is a merciful God. He's a loving God in the Old Testament. It, it, we just see um, a lot of his, his judgments there. But if you want to see his judgments now, I mean, pick up a newspaper. Yeah. He is still uh, judging sin. And the answer is very simply that the reason why we've got all the bad stuff going on and the reason why the judgment comes isn't because uh, God's sitting up there uh, just waiting to pounce on people. It's a result of man's sin and, and man's own choices. Uh, we, we make our bed, and uh, we have to lie in it. Uh, we prize our free will, and then we violate God's word, and God whips us for it, and then we cry foul. That's what that's that's human nature right there. And and the other thing too, I hear a lot, you know, from people that say, you know, God just took the Jews and just took it, and and uh, they just wiped everybody out. And what about all those innocent people and that they wiped out? But um, there, there's there's so many verses in the Old Testament that say that God. Uh, chose the nation of Israel as his people, and uh, and he was having them take out all those people because they were in the land that they were going to take, first of all. But the reason why uh, God wanted those people out of that land is because the Bible says that they uh, they went after idols and went after other gods. Uh, God gave them a chance to uh, to be uh, you know to be for them to be uh, for him to be their God, and uh, and they chose not to. And so nobody was innocent that Israel took over. Uh, if you look in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 22, it says, You shall therefore keep all my statutes, talking about the Jews, and all my judgments, and do them, that the land whither I bring you to dwell therein spew you not out. Uh, and you shall not walk in the manners of the nation which I cast out before you, for they committed all these things, and therefore I abhorred them. But I have said unto you, You shall inherit their land, and I will give it unto you to possess it, a land that floweth with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, which have uh, separated you from other people. I mean, when uh, Caleb and uh, I'm thinking about the right people, Joshua, uh, they went to spy out the land. Uh, they said, "Boy, they're like grass. You know, we're like grasshoppers. These giants, and uh, and even the land spews out these people. And the reason why is because uh, the land was spewing them out is because they were committing uh, sins and they were not, you know, going along with God. And uh, so the whole reason why God used Israel." Uh, to take these people out is because they were not innocent, but they were guilty before God. Yeah. Amen. I, I want to just uh, punctuate what uh, Matt just said. In Deuteronomy 9, 4, and 5, it says, uh, Speak not thou in thine heart, after that the Lord thy God hath cast them out from before thee, saying, For my righteousness the Lord hath brought me in to possess this land, but for the wickedness of these nations the Lord doth drive them out from before thee. And not for thy righteousness or the uprightness of thine heart dost thou go to possess their land, but for the wickedness of these nations, the Lord thy God, to thrive them out from before thee 
and that he may perform the word which the Lord swear unto thy fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. One of the thoughts that I that I have is is we know that you know God's character; He's a holy and a, and a just God. But sometimes people they don't understand and they don't think it may be fair or whatever. Uh, but I think we just have to go back to God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts, His way are higher than our way. That just because our finite man mind can't understand, you know, the judgment of God doesn't mean that He's not right. Amen. Amen. I'll wow. say it too. Amen. I'm, I'm out of questions. That was <laughs> that was my two that other people asked. <laughs> you got to come up with more right now. I, I like the, I like the answer to uh, especially to that second one. I'm I'm going to relay that or tell them to listen to the show, and uh, that should take care of that. But that's what I got. I you know I know I talked to somebody and this was probably about a year ago I talked to him and he said well kind of the same thing that, that you were saying, Pastor Matt, about, you know, here's this God in the Old Testament. He's just a God of hate and everything, and, and he was killing all these innocent people. And, and I knew the answer. I knew that, you know, he wasn't killing them because they were, you know, not giving them a chance to repent and all that kind of stuff. And, but I didn't have the verses for it. And, and, uh, and, you know, when you get the verses for it and, and show them, I mean, they can't, you know, they can't refute it. But it's just... It's a blessing to be able to have the answer finally in front of you again. The one thing I want to add to, to that is is that God, uh, whenever he pronounces a judgment, he gives them an opportunity beforehand to get right with him. Amen. Um, for example, you know, God saw the wickedness of man in Genesis chapter 6. He gave him 120 years, not only for, for Noah to prepare and build the ark, but for the people to get right. I think, personally, opinion, just reading the, the scriptures and so forth, that that ark was big enough to handle some people if they had chosen to come with Noah uh, along with the animals. Amen, um, there's no doubt. And uh, they chose not to. Uh, Noah was a preacher of righteousness, and he preached to them, and uh, they refused to heed the call. Uh, you've got uh, Lot, uh, you know, when the angels came down for Lot and they were going to destroy the city, and Lot went out trying to get a hold of people, especially his family, and they they uh, thought he was mocking, <laughs> and they didn't yeah. go with him. And, uh, you know, in, in the land, uh, you know, whether it was the Canaanites or the Perizzites or Hivites or whoever they were, uh, you know, the sin came up before God, and, and the, the time wasn't right yet with the children of Israel to go in. And so he waited. And uh, I believe if God's character is consistent, uh, that he gave them an opportunity to repent, and they didn't repent. So he brought yeah. judgment into the bottom. The other so, thing I hear... Sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, just, just, <laughs> just the people that, that say that modern day... Uh, you know, all they do is they, they see the judgment, and they don't see the, the long-suffering that goes on before that. And, uh, you know, they, they just don't understand that God is a completely balanced being to, uh, uh, you know, balance off the judgment and the justice. Uh, there is mercy, there is patience, there is long-suffering, there is goodness. It, it all walks hand-in-hand hand with the God of the Bible. And going along with God giving people chances um, to repent, 
uh, the, you know, people talk about uh, Pharaoh and uh, when Moses went up to Pharaoh and they said, well, God just hardened Pharaoh's heart the whole time. How is that fair? You know, God didn't give him a chance. But you see in uh, Exodus chapter 5, verse 2, uh, actually verse 1, it says, And afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And it goes down and it says that, you know, he's talking about, uh, you know, he's going to make them do all this extra work and things like that and wouldn't let Israel go. God didn't harden his heart there. God gave him a chance. God gave him an opportunity to repent and, uh, and actually see who that God is. And, uh, but he hardened his heart himself in that first instance. So God always gives a chance no matter what. Amen. Well, we'd also like to, uh, just checking the chat room. I see we have someone there by the name of Old Preach, and we'd like to welcome Old Preach into That's in the Bible. Yeah. And also we have someone also on the phone. I don't know who that is, but you have been unmuted in case you do want to say hello or ask a question. You're welcome to do that. I see a couple of folks on the phone, and I just want to let uh, all of you that are listening in know you have an unprecedented opportunity, and um, of, of it's the only time it's ever going to be because you have the chance to be the first ever caller into the That's in the Bible live call-in show. <laughs> the, the distinction awaits you. It will be pinned on you um, from now till, till the Lord comes back. So who's it going to be? Well, you don't have to give your name or anything like that. You can, you can make up a name. I used to listen to this uh, talk show every once in a while where, the guys would call in, and when it was in a, a guy, it'd, it'd be anonymous, and he'd be George, and the lady, I think, would be Georgette or something like that. So, yep. <laughs> you want to make up a name? Go ahead. We also have a guest that just logged in on the chat room, and welcome in. Guest 11. Nice. <laughs> All right, we're... Uh, I think you might be able to come up with one if you give me a minute. <laughs> Forget I can ask what the, what the seven spirits of, uh, of God are in Revelation. <laughs> <laughs> well, we just had Gus Eleven identify himself. That's uh, Brother Wright there in Middleburg, Florida. Hey, Brother Art, welcome. Good day. Amen. <clears throat> nice to see you, Brother Art. Brother Art. Amen, Brother Art. Good to have you. Oh, so anyway, we're, we're 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 waiting. We're we're waiting to see Eric. You haven't apparently seen that seen that hand wave yet, have you? I have not. But, uh, actually, <laughs> everyone's unmuted. Right. So they they can join in at any time. So they're unmuted, meaning, um, how would you know if they had a particular question? Oh, they can actually talk, you're saying? They guess. Okay. I'd like to say they're doing a good job of being quiet. (laughs) (laughs) I think there's one that wants to be quiet. (laughs) We also have, uh, let's see, guest 12 joined us, and welcome guest 12. All right, we do, we do have a question. Guest 11 has uh, typed in a question. It says, how can the blood of a Jew over 2,000 years ago make me right in the sight of God? All right, good question. I'd like to uh, just chime in with a, a little bit of a, a suggested answer. Uh, Peter talks about the blood of Christ uh, in his first epistle. And that gives us some insight uh, to, to answer this question. And I'm going to uh, pull up the verse here and, uh, and, and give it to you. First Peter chapter 1, and verse number, I'll start with verse number 18. It says, For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, 
but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The blood of Jesus Christ, number one, uh, is not like anybody else's blood that uh, walk on the face of this earth. The difference between you and me and Jesus uh, is that we all had earthly fathers and were born with a sin nature. The Lord Jesus Christ had a heavenly father, thus the virgin birth. His blood was not corrupted when he was born. He started out innocent like Adam. Where Adam and Eve failed, uh, Jesus Christ succeeded, tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. His blood then was never corrupted. He had incorruptible blood. In, in that he had incorruptible blood, that blood when it was shed uh, didn't just go to the ground and dry up and, and uh, have no, no more that it could do. But according to First Peter 1, verses uh, 18 and 19, it is incorruptible, which means it's still available today. Uh, it's still capable today of washing away our sins. Amen. And I just want to add to that, too. I don't know if you said it, Pastor uh, Strobel, but that verse about how it's uh, God's blood, um, it's Acts chapter uh, 20, verse 28, says, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. And, uh, you know, that, that, that blood right there is God's blood, you know, the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. And uh, that, that blood is eternal and, and uh, is good any time. Amen. I see the I see a little follow up to that um, where the uh, the guest has asked this. There's people that say it's not the blood of Christ, but the death of Christ, and that's uh, that's a misnomer that some people embrace. Um, for a while, uh, MacArthur, the famous one from uh, California, was uh, making that taking that position. I believe it was the same position R.B. Theme from Dallas Theological Seminary embraced uh, years before that. I think in the in the 70s, and uh, the fact of the matter is, if there's one thing the Bible makes clear, it's without shedding of blood is no remission. But the verses that deal with the importance of the blood are just numerous. If you have a King James Bible in Colossians 1.14, it says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of his sins. I say King James because a uh, New International Version, as well as many of the other new versions, they remove the reference to uh, the blood in that verse. And I wonder who would be behind taking the blood out of a key right. verse about salvation. Somebody doesn't want you to get saved. Uh, that's the devil's work. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, it says, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it goes on to say, Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. In verse number 9. And then just one other one, just off the top, top of my head, Romans 3, I think it's verse 25, it talks about um, the Lord being a propitiation through faith, in his blood. Right. You also have one more in First John chapter uh, 1 and verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. It didn't say Amen. that. It said his blood. Amen. Also, I, uh, I wanted to add to uh, Pastor Strobel as he talked about how Jesus' birth was different than any other birth. You know, in fact, he didn't have uh, man, man's blood, or, or the or blood that was contaminated, uh, in Genesis chapter 3, in verse 15, this is only found in your King James Bible, it says, And I will put my enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. This is obviously talking about the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, and how Jesus would uh, sentence Satan to eternity in the lake of fire. Uh, but it says, her seed. Now, 
all the modern versions, they say her offspring, you know, because the male is the one that gives the, gives the, uh, gives the seed. Uh, but we find here that this wasn't a, a mistake, uh, but this, in fact, is uh, it was a virgin birth. Amen. And, uh, Christ's blood has no sin. It's a, uh, it's a precious blood. Amen. And, and the other thing, first, that I was thinking about, too, is Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. Uh, verse 11 talks about Jesus Christ, and then verse 12 is talking about him. It says, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. And then uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood is no remission. You need that shedding of blood, and it's only the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and uh, it talks about uh, in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verse uh, 10, it says, you know, these people that are um, the priests here, it says, By the which we all are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, and every priest standeth daily ministering. And offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. And uh, that offering there was his blood, which we saw back in the other verses. And uh, it's only through the blood of Jesus Christ. No, just death. That doesn't do it. Amen. And in fairness, I uh, mentioned uh, MacArthur, and I think it's John MacArthur from California. Uh, in fairness to him, I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but I have been told that uh, he has since changed his position. Uh, he took a lot of heat over it, and, he, and well, he should. And if he yeah. did change his position, uh, it's nice to have him on the right side, at least on that position. Amen. Amen. And uh, guest 11 there was uh, quoting that uh, great hymn, Saved by the Blood of the Crucified One, Glory Unsaved. Amen. Amen. We also have another uh, person that's logged into the chat room, Truth Seeker. Welcome if you have a question. Or anything you'd like to contribute or comment, just feel free to uh, go ahead and chat right in the chat room. Well, Guest 11 is officially our first outside person that's asked a question, and he's done it through the chat. But somebody that's on the phone could still be the first caller to ask a question, so we're waiting to award that distinction. <laughs> we're, we're trying, trying to motivate you. <laughs> it's just like preaching. <laughs> yeah, I was. Well, there's no, there's no prize for the first caller or anything, or <laughs> prize <laughs> first one to get through. Is it going to come to that? We're going to have to offer a prize. <laughs> they, they can get tickets. They can get tickets to my Sunday morning service if they want. <laughs> <laughs> Front row seats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They say, um, and they say in regard to coming to our the Baptist Church, um, they say. If you want to get uh, a back seat, you got to get there early. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pastor Matt, you asked a question on uh, the seven spirits of God. Yeah, you got an answer for me? Well, I, I have what I think. I mean, if you go to Revelation chapter uh, uh, 1, and that's where the verse comes up anyway, and, and a, a couple of other verses in uh, Revelation, but Revelation chapter 1, verse 4 says, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from um, him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And, uh, you know, the question is, well, what are those seven spirits? And, uh, and, and it's a good question. And, and uh, when you look in Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, uh, let me go there real quick. There's a way that God can split them up. You know, we, it's hard for us to comprehend how, comprehend how God can split them up into three different persons. Uh, 
But here in uh, Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, it almost looks like it does it even more. It says, And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. It looks like here, of course, Jesus Christ is the one sitting on the throne, but then you've got the lamb here, which is Jesus Christ as well, taking the book. So somehow he's got a way to be able to split them up even in, in, in more instances and in, in appear. And, and another one I think about is when uh, Jesus Christ is a baby on this earth, uh, and, uh, and he comes, uh, he's, he's really young as a, as a boy, and, uh, and the angel of the Lord comes. And the angel of the Lord in the Bible is Jesus Christ, his appearance of Jesus Christ. And, uh, and if you look in uh, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, I don't know if this is what it is, but uh, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2 says, And the Spirit of the Lord, that's the first spirit, shall rest upon him, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, there's two more, the spirit of counsel and might, there's another two, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, that's seven of them. So uh, that could be it, I'm not sure. That, that'll match, that's where, uh, that's where I was going to go, so I'm right with All you right. there. Well, Art, it's nice to see you. It's, uh, I just want to say to Art, uh, it's been a blessing hearing your, um, you know, messaging in and leaving us emails and things like that. That's definitely, uh, definitely a big um, uh, encouragement to me. So I just want to say thank you for that. Even after you type that comment. <laughs> <laughs> Which was... The- the comment that Art just gave us was, how can you be so close-minded as to think that God is only one book? You King James only think you're right and everybody is wrong. <laughs> I was trying to stir up trouble. I have a nice King James Bible that Art gave me way back when. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a whole show subject right there. It is. <laughs> I think we've, I think we've uh, done some on it, haven't we? Yeah, we did the superiority yeah. of the King James Bible. We did a little bit of that. And, 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 if and, any, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, if anybody's out there listening and has, has questions about that subject, you want to check out that show. And I'll tell you what you do is is uh, do some comparison. Get your King James Bible and look up some, some key references. We've given you um, some tonight. Uh, Pastor Matt mentioned Genesis 3. Was it 15, Pastor Matt? Yes. Genesis 3.15, check that in your King James, and then compare it with several other new versions, starting with the NIV. And um, uh, um, Colossians 1.14 is another good one to check. 2 Timothy 2.15 is a good one to check, where the new Bibles tend to remove uh, the word study. Um, That's a verse where God commands you to study His Word, and they take that out, and so a lot of people don't. And there's uh, there's other key ones. Maybe some of you other other folks have some to contribute, some key verses to check in the new versions. I was once Matthew eighteen eleven. Matthew eighteen eleven. Matthew eighteen eleven. It's no, it's not there. It's gone in their Bibles. Amen. And uh, the verse says, and, the, and uh, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Yeah. Amen. And we've got another show on that, too, other than the superiority over the King James Bible. We've got, uh, what is it, guys? Which Bible is the right one? Right. That's a good one to compare, too. Go ahead and take a look at that. 
that one actually has a lot of comparison in it where we actually took verses and compared them with other versions. Right. Uh, and uh, uh, so that would give you kind of a good uh, good idea of what's going on with the other versions and why we believe that the King James Bible is the uh, right Bible to have the true Word of God. Along with um, Matthew 18.11, uh, I like sometimes to have a little bit of fun with somebody that's reading an NIV. Uh, fun with a purpose. And uh, I'll ask them. I'll ask them to look up uh, Matthew 17, verse 21. And in the NIV, they'll do the same thing. They'll be looking around. And they'll finally say it's not there. <clears throat> right. And we'll show them the numbering system. They'll go Matthew in the NIV. They'll go Matthew 17, 18, 19, 20, 22. I'll tell them right. um, the uh, introduction to the New International Version tells you that it's some of the greatest Hebrew and Greek scholars of our age that put it together, and I say, they may be some of the greatest Hebrew and Greek scholars, but they couldn't count. They count 17, 18, 19, 20, 22. Now, why do they do that? They do that because they're following the numbering system of the King James. And uh, I think if you really don't believe the verse should be there, then why not adjust the numbering system? That's it. But they always got to measure it up by the standard, and that's your King James Bible. They did that. They did the same thing in Matthew chapter eighteen, verse eleven. The same thing. It, uh, in fact, I had a fellow over at the house just last Thursday. He was here again tonight. But uh, last Thursday, I, I showed him some things. He had an NIV with him, and and uh, the first verse I asked him to go to was Matthew eighteen eleven. And, and you know, I, I do it smiling, but. Uh, <laughs> He's looking, and he's looking, and he's looking, then he looks up, and then he looks back down, and he's looking, and he's looking, he looks back up, and he looks back down. He's, they don't even have 11. <laughs> they have 10 and 12. So uh, the same point gets across. We, we have, um, uh, there's another, another place to look is First John 5, 7. And here's what they do in First John 5, 7. When you, when you look at it closely, you'll see verse 7, and you'll see verse 8. And it'll look like they're both there. But here's what they've actually done. They have actually completely omitted First John 5, 7, which is the greatest verse in the Bible on the Trinity. And I think uh, that right. came up in a previous program as well. Uh, yep. The greatest verse in the Bible on the Trinity, um, about three bear, there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And what they actually do in the uh, new versions is after having eliminated that verse, they divide verse 8 up into two sections. And they make the yep. first half of verse 8 verse number 7, and the last part, verse 8. And the wording is is similar enough where you might not catch it at first. But if you go at, go at it and look at it with that in mind, you'll notice that that's exactly what they've done. They left verse 7 out and then cut verse 8 and 2 to, to make you think 7 is there. That's right. And the verse that gets me is Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Man shall not live by, every, by uh, bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. And uh, the only way you can... Uh, you know, live by every word of God and uh, and read it is by having every word of God and all those other Bible versions change them. And, uh, and if you're going to heed to Jesus Christ's command, you got to have the King James Bible. Amen. The preserved word of God for us uh, English-speaking people. And yeah. there's English-speaking people all over the world. Yeah, we, we agree with you, uh, Truth Seeker. He's, asked, he's saying uh, the newer Bibles are based on a perverted uh, edited text, which is true. Uh, you know, there's two two lines of manuscripts. You've got one coming from uh, uh, 
Alexandria, Egypt, and one from Antioch, Syria. And uh, Antioch, Syria, the Texas Receptus, comes uh, through the to the King James Bible, but the other ones, all the other versions, come through the uh, the other line of manuscripts, which is Alexandria, Egypt. Amen. And those are things that we've covered. And um, when you're studying the, the whole subject, there's just the internal evidence of comparing it, and that's a good place to start. When I'm dealing with people that um, you know are dealing with an NIV, a lot of times I'll start right there, just showing them the internal evidence. And then we'll get into that. We'll get into the two lines of the text and give them a simple explanation of that. And it's um, hard to hard to spit it all out and in, in, in at once. Right. I know one thing that I I use to help people understand is I give them I give them a couple couple books if they're if they're really speaking. A one brother Eric gave to me. It's a the answer book by Brother Sam Gibb. And uh, that's that's one that that. I know people came back and thanked me for that book, and and uh, it's just it's simple, simple, easy, easy read, you know. But it's got a lot of good information. Yes, it is. We also had a question from uh, Old Preaching that said, "Is it okay to refer to God with terminology that is not present in the Bible?" Is, are you referring to slang terms like the old man upstairs, or or is it? Uh, Things like you know, I, I'm not sure if you're talking about Yahweh or, or or things like that. I'm not I'm not exactly sure of your question. So now, old preach is saying that there are many that uh, many many people, most major uh, mainstream denominations use. I'm sure that we all can think of some. Can you give an example? Maybe too subjective. Yeah, I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure. I would say in relationship to the ones that Steve mentioned, uh, or at least the old man upstairs, I don't think that's uh, a very respectful way to, uh, to to refer to God. However, some however some people might say that who are who are just starting to try to seek Him, but hopefully they would progress beyond that. And the other thing, also, uh, you know, you want to ask in in uh, in Jesus Christ's name. I mean, there's a lot of people that. Uh, say a prayer, and, and they're not asking in Jesus Christ's name, and and uh, and also, you know, you can see that in John chapter fifteen, verse sixteen, John chapter sixteen, verse twenty-three, uh, and verse fourteen as well. Uh, chapter fourteen, verse fourteen, and chapter sixteen, verse twenty-four. Uh, it's all throughout the Bible. I mean, we have to we have to pray in Jesus Christ's name, or we're not going to get that prayer answered. Um, you know, if if you pray in somebody else's name, it's not going to work. Amen. Old Priest said something about being in mainstream uh, denominations used, and uh, it's been so long since I've been in a mainstream denomination, I'm kind of out of the loop. I'm trying to figure out what he's talking about. He had another right. um, another comment about throw Westcott in the Horton in the trash can, and uh, yeah. that'd be a good place for us I where agree. they found it. <laughs> Amen. Where they found it on uh, St. Catherine's Monastery trash, as we understand it. And the... It, the, the whole thing about Westcott and Hort, too, they, they hated the, the uh, Texas Receptus. I have a quote from uh, Hort here. This is what he, what he said. He said, I had no idea till the last few uh, weeks of the importance of text, having read so little Greek Testament, and dragged on with a villain, uh, villainous Texas Receptus. Think of the vile Texas Receptus leaning entirely on MSS. It is a blessing. There are such early ones. And that's uh, from Hort Arthur Fenton, Life and Letters of Fenton. Uh, John Anthony Hort, uh, New York, 1896, Volume 1, page 211. He hated the Texas Receptus, and what they did when they in, in the 1800s when they brought that council together, 
Uh, they said, hey, just, you know, uh, fix what you thought was wrong with the King James and all that kind of stuff. But Westcott and Hort hated the Texas Receptus, so uh, they sneaked in uh, the uh, Alexandria, Egypt, uh, uh, you know, manuscripts, and they brought in their own uh, Greek uh, Greek Testament, and, and uh, that's how they changed that all around. And, yeah, so definitely the Westcott and Hort, uh, were way off because they hate, you know, they were, of course, uh, Roman Catholic in a lot of ways and, and hated the blood, hated, uh, they, they believed in baptismal re- regeneration and things like that. So that's why you see so many of those precious uh, things in our King James Bibles and those newer versions ripped out. Amen. Old, old Preach has also followed up uh, in reference to his uh, most major mainstream denomination used as far as uh, terminology that's not in the Bible. He's followed up with saying, okay, say like the Catholics came up with, quote, God the Son. Nobody wants to bite because they're afraid it's a loaded question, so I'll put my head on the chopping block. Um, it's, I, don't, I don't know how they, uh, you know, if they, if they try to make that an official title, but referring to Jesus as God the Son is, is accurate. It is technically accurate. He is God, and He is the the Son. Um, right. In regard to the Trinity, the you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. As it's been well said, there are three in one, one in three, and the one in the middle died for me, and that was the Son. He was the Son of God. He was also God in the flesh. And with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. If another, again, I mentioned before about the blood. The Bible makes that plain and clear that it takes the blood to save us. It also makes it plain and clear that um, Jesus Christ is God. No, I got a, I got a problem with the, with the Catholics when they mentioned that Mary's the mother of God. Yeah. You know, we know that she wasn't the, the mother of the eternal, you know, God, but yet the, the human side, I guess you would say, of, of Jesus. And Truth Seeker has chimed in in the chat room saying Jesus is Yahweh in fleshly form, i.e. God the Son. There's, uh, there's a lot of things, terms that we use even in um, the description of, of other things in the Bible, whereas we don't find the exact term in the Bible, but it maybe describes something in the Bible. It's something else that we have talked about in previous programs. The term rapture, for example, is not a term that's found in the Bible, but it describes an event in the Bible. First Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, verse 13 to the end of the chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, about verse 51 through 58, um, etc. Uh, the millennium is a term that's not in the Bible, but the millennium is in the Bible. Revelation chapter 20, about verses 1 through 7, talks about um, those uh, saints that will live and reign with Christ for a thousand years. So um, sometimes we, we may use uh, extra-biblical terms to describe uh, things that, that are in the Bible. So long as we don't, and, and I can't say this is a blanket approval of all of them, but so long as you don't violate the scriptures, uh, that's what you want to make sure about. Well, the one thing that I can't, the one thing I can say uh, in regards to this is, you know, sometimes you are equal by association, uh, and this is in reference to truth seeker uh, uh, saying that Jesus is Yahweh in the flesh and so forth. Um, you know, it says in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Now, obviously, you have um, um, the Word there is capitalized, is personified, and finally, 
later on in John chapter 1 that that's a reference to Jesus Christ, but it's making him equal with God, which is Jehovah or Yahweh or however you want to want to uh, uh, pronounce that. I mean, I know, I know there's a lot of debate and people have their preferences and so forth, but he would be Jehovah. He would be Yahweh if you consider it. So um, just by virtue of what the scripture says, like I said, you would be equal by association. Sometimes when you use those those terms, I know people come up with all kinds of things. That you, you'll talk about Christianese and all kinds of things that, that people will say that's kind of extra-biblical. It's, it's kind of Christian-speak. We know what we're talking about, but nobody else does. And sometimes people will, will want to follow the, the letter of the law just to, to be accurate. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that I have a, a real problem with that, really, either way. I, I guess I'd, it's never really been a, that much of an issue for me to to really, uh, you know, delve into it that far. But I think uh, maybe just showing you this verse might help you to understand that, at least from my point of view, that if you're equal by association, you're the same thing. And uh, we're going to follow up with the question from um, from Old Preach. He, he follows up by saying, but uh, for example, but why should we use the word rapture in the whole of Scripture? No one used it. Uh, we could call it something else. It's not extra-biblical, for example, the term caught up, uh, catching away, etc. And uh, uh, first of all, I'd say I have no problem with people calling it uh, catching away. That's what it is. Um, I'm going to give you a, a reference from, from Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse number 8 which uh, says this, it says, so they read, and, and this is, a, by the way, a gathering of a, of a whole bunch of the Lord's people who are standing and hearing um, uh, people speaking about the law. They're coming to take me away. Uh, <laughs> Nehemiah 8, verse 8, so they read in the book in the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. As we preach, as we teach and uh, disciple and, and work with people and witness, um, we'll use a lot of words that aren't exact quotations from the Bible or that aren't even in the Bible. We're using those words to give the sense, to cause the people to understand the reading. And rapture is just something that's uh, descriptive of, an, of the event. It's uh, a seizing away uh, by force. And so uh, it, it describes and helps people to get a sense of, of what it is. Um, we, we also call it the rapture to, as opposed, say, for example, to the second coming, uh, to distinguish it from uh, the second advent, uh, the really two parts of the second coming, first the rapture, uh, then the revelation or the, or the second advent. So, you know, I've got no problem with somebody calling it something that they can exactly find in the Bible. Um, I personally don't have any problem with them uh, using the word rapture either. I, I use it uh, regularly. Well, I guess I, I mean I would say you know rapture would be no problem in in the millennium. I mean that 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 uh, means a thousand. I mean uh, you know that which is a thousand year reign. And, and I know personally when I uh, have been witnessing at work, uh, a lot of people know that termino- terminology, the rapture, um, and it's pretty surprising. And if you just say maybe caught away, they'll be they won't know what you're talking about, and you have to explain more. But if you say hey, you know the rapture could be any day. They know exactly what you're talking about, and uh, and so I use it as a tool to be able to slip kind of in there and be able to witness a little bit more. So 
I have no problem. I agree with you. If there's some terminology that goes way away from the doctrine of the Bible, then uh, we should stay away from that. But I don't see anywhere where the word rapture or the word millennium uh, goes away from the Bible at all, but actually just, uh, you know, some, sometimes it might help people out to be able to understand the Bible better. These terms are also commonly used by, um, you know, prophetic teachers. So at the very least, we should educate people as to, to what they're talking about. Amen. Here's your question. Question, sir, what must I do to be saved? How can I be born again? As a Baptist, should I get dunked? Well, we can look over to Acts, Acts chapter, I believe, 16, verse, uh, don't help me out, it's verse 30, where that question yes. was asked. Yes. That was the uh, exact question, and that's a, that's the greatest one of the greatest questions of the Bible, I guess, that many people have that question. You can just point right to the scriptures. Where it says, "Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house." Amen. This is the story. Obviously, it's uh, the Philippian jailer, as, as he was uh, keeping guard, and the earthquake came and set him loose, and uh, he's getting ready to to kill himself when Paul stopped him, and uh, and he said, "We're all still here." And he said, "Sirs, what must I do to be saved?" So we obviously know it's not by Baptism, not by our good works, not something that's earned. I always tell people that salvation is never referred to as a reward, you know, but it's a gift. You know, it's something that's, it's something that's already been paid for. And all we must do is just uh, call upon the Lord, and thou shalt be saved, uh, Romans 10, 13. And the, the question also was asked, uh, uh, household salvation. Hard to keep up. Because so, it says there in Acts chapter 16, verse 31, and they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. A lot of people think, okay, well, you, you believe on Jesus Christ, and your whole house will be saved. But uh, the, the Bible uh, is a good definition right down here in uh, verse 34. And it says, And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. So uh, the whole house had to believe. And, and where that comes through, that you know, if you get saved, uh, you, your whole house will get saved. Um, you know, I was brought up in a good godly house. Uh, my sister, my mom is saved, my dad is saved, uh, and I'm saved today. And the whole reason why is because, um, you know, my dad um, uh, took us to church and uh, taught us uh, the only plan of salvation is just through the blood of Jesus Christ. And uh, the bottom line is, uh, you know, you'll have a much greater chance of getting saved in a household that is godly rather than a household that's not godly. Well, it Another question that came from Old Preach in this regard, in regards to salvation, uh, quoting Acts 2.38, Then Peter answered, uh, said unto them, Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sin, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. But the one thing that's different in that is that the question is different. Yeah. It's not the same question that you have in, in Acts chapter 16, men and brethren, Sirs, uh, uh, what must I do to be saved? The question is, men and brother, what shall we do? Uh, I think you'll find that in verse 37 or 36. And uh, the, the question that they're asking is, men and brother, what shall we do in regards that they put their Messiah to death? Yeah. And so uh, when, they, when they asked that, then Peter gave them the, the, the remedy, which was similar to what John the Baptist had given, because they hadn't received... Uh, Paul's revelation of the of the of uh, of salvation by grace through faith. So there's a little bit different question, and because of that, there's a different answer for that. So uh, 
hopefully that answers that question there for you, old preach. And old preach was just clarifying. He wasn't actually answering or asking a question. Oh. I think he was just giving. Okay. Um, he was contributing to the answer. Okay. Yes. I, we're, we're we're going so fast. We're getting questions <laughs> here on the chat. So I got to sort of go. Oh man, how do we keep up with this? <laughs> old preach. The only reason. The only reason why we wanted to uh, clarify that is because there's a lot of um, people that use that verse, Acts 2.38, yes. to damn a lot of people to hell. And uh, yes. the reason why is because it does say you have to be baptized to receive the remission of sins and, and receive the Holy Ghost. And uh, if you want to look, if, if anybody's listening and, and is wondering about that, we did a, a show on that, um, on uh, is water baptism necessary for salvation, and I go over Acts 2.38. And I go over, uh, of course, why that's not for us today and why that's for the Jews and uh, as a nation. And, uh, and that'll be able to clarify that better. But, you know, that's the only reason why we say that is because um, there's so many people going to hell because of uh, people base uh, their salvation on Acts 2.38. Yeah, the, the, the Apostle Paul would preach in Acts chapter 20 and verse 21, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Where baptism comes in is a step of obedience. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 21 says that baptism is not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but it's the answer of a good conscience toward God. So after a person gets saved, uh, they should follow the Lord in believer's baptism. And this is a matter of obedience and spirit, uh, first step in, uh, one of the first steps in spiritual growth. Truth Seeker had a question as well. Are we still subject to the law? Anybody want to comment? Well, sure. Um, go ahead. Well, uh, Galatians chapter 3. Uh, verse 24. Uh, let's go back to verse 21. Galatians 3.21. Bible says, uh, Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if it had been the law given which could have given life, uh, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all understand that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Uh, but before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was their schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Uh, so because you're uh, by faith in Jesus Christ, we're no longer under a schoolmaster. But the problem with that now is people say, well, I can do whatever I want then. Um, but uh, if you look in uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 15, it says, What then shall we sin, because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Um, so right here, we, uh, we're believing in Jesus Christ. We're not under the law anymore, but we shouldn't sin. And Titus chapter 3, verse 14 says the reason why we shouldn't is because uh, it's a good uh, witness to others so that we can uh, lead them to the Lord. But no, we're not under the law anymore. We're under grace if you're saved. In Romans uh, 3.28 uh, says, Therefore we conclude that man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. You know, we know that we're saved by faith not through through the law. We're not under the law. The law is, the, you know, the bondage that free from that. Well, the, the law was basically to let us know that we were, uh, of course, obviously from Paul's revelation. Uh, uh, let me turn to Romans 7, but it was the schoolmaster as it's found in Galatians, but Romans 7 has a, has a good way of describing that as to what, what uh, the law was. Romans chapter 7 and verse 7 says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I have not known sin, but by the law. 
For I have not known lust, except the law has said, Thou shalt not covet. Uh, so forth and so on. Uh, so the law was, was necessary, therefore, to, to show us that we were sinners against God. And it's, it's important. We need to use the law to reach people uh, with the gospel because they need to know that they're lost. Uh, but it's not uh, something that uh, is necessary for us to be saved today. Which is not to say that once you're saved, you shouldn't uh, live righteously. Yeah. yeah. I know. I, I got so many qualifiers sometimes you get run out of saying <laughs> Right. No, that's, that's the benefit of having um, all of us here. While one's yeah. talking, somebody else can think of something, and, uh, you know, we can cover our bases. But uh, you're doing. Everybody's the answers have been real good. This is, and the questions have been good, and uh, we appreciate you folks uh, sticking with us. Truth seeker said, First uh, John three four. Whosoever commits sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. With a bunch of question marks. Right. He's just well, he's just following up. I think on on. And what we were saying, it's one of the reasons why I yeah. mentioned that um, we should still, being saved, still live righteously. We're, we're, we're obviously not following everything of the Old Testament law. Uh, the Bible, the Bible uh, talks about, for example, in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, I'll say first, it talks about the keeping of the Saturday Sabbath. In the New Testament, it says, let no man judge you and meet and drink or drink in respect of a Sabbath day or a holy day, which are a shadow of things to come, but the bodies of Christ. So there are some things in the New Testament that um, we don't have to do, or let's put it this way, things in the Old Testament they did that we don't have to do. We don't bring animal sacrifices anymore, which was under the law. Uh, we've got one sacrifice for sins forever. So there are some distinctions. And Old Preach also said uh, that they felt baptism somehow an act of remission of sins. All they are doing is trusting with the blood of Christ, really. I've never met anyone that felt otherwise. Um, I know a bunch of people that um, that are trusting in baptism to save them. Um, they say that their uh, that their faith in Jesus Christ plus baptism is the only thing that saves them, and the only way they can receive the Holy Ghost is by being baptized. And they use that verse in Acts two thirty eight. And uh, when you read that verse, it says, uh, uh, "Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost." So it's you know, it's talking about after baptism, you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So that's why they go to that verse, is because they say that's the only way you can get the Holy Ghost. And when you get the Holy Ghost, uh, that's the only time that you're saved and born again and put into the body of Christ. Um, and that's why they go to it. But, of course, uh, like we said before, we answered that. It's not by baptism. And uh, just a quick reference, too, if you're ever dealing with somebody that believes baptism is going to save them, uh, I go to two places, and then I just leave them with those verses. And uh, the two places I found was uh, Romans chapter 1, Verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So it says right here, Paul says on the inspiration of God, that it's the gospel that is the power for somebody to be saved. Then you go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and you show in verse 17, Paul says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. So he said gospel, the gospel is what saves them, and, and right here you see that baptism is not part of the gospel. Uh, it should be noted too that a lot of people um, who practice infant baptism, uh, their their salvation is is trusting in their baptism. I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church. I was baptized as an infant, 
and I know I know how that goes. And I, I still today talk to a lot of people who um, you ask them if they're saved. Well, they say, "Yeah, I, I've been baptized," and that can mean a lot of different things for for a lot of different people. And yeah, you're you're right. Uh, uh, old preach when you said uh, they are leaving out Acts uh, ten. And that's true. Uh, Acts is a transition book, uh, transitioning from Jew to Gentile, transitioning from uh, the nation of Israel, uh, and uh, also transitioning from the uh, uh, from the um, from the Apostle Peter to the Apostle Paul. Um, so you definitely have to uh, get that straight. That you don't want to get your doctrine of salvation through the Book of Acts. All right. Well, you know what? I can see right now that we are almost out of time. We are getting to, uh, well, here at the East Coast, getting to almost 11 o'clock. So you know that we've got folks here that are getting up in the morning, heading to work. And um, we do want to thank everyone that was able to join us and uh, to come on and participate on the show, whether it was in the chat room. And actually, we didn't really take a phone call, did we, today? No, so somebody still, still can get the honors next time. We still have someone that can do the uh, be the first. Um, if you'd like to check out our website, you can check our website out at thatsinthebible.com, T-H-A-T-S-I-N-T-H-E-B-I-B-L-E.com. And uh, you can take a look at the, a lot of the episodes that we've uh, put up and some of those answer and go into greater depth on some of the questions that were posed here tonight. And again, uh, you can tell to check our website for when we um, will do another live episode. And um, what else am I leaving on? Anything else, guys? I said it was fun. Nope, I appreciate everybody participating. Had a good time. All right, that concludes our live episode. Glad you could join us for that. Um, Hopefully you found some of those questions and answers interesting. Um, Give us some feedback. Let us know if you think uh, you would like to hear another live episode um, it changes things that you'd like to see done differently as I said we're just kind of exploring this whole live aspect we think it's beneficial that the idea that uh, you could call in and, and give us some questions live and we can answer them on uh, and then um, re- record them and, and put them up here on, as an episode um, so we're, we're we're glad to do that but give us give us uh, some feedback let us know what you think. And uh, you can give us feedback by writing us at uh, that's in the Bible at gmail.com. That's T H A T S I N T H E B I B L E. That's in the Bible at gmail.com. You can always call us at 716 584 1611. Again, that's 716 584 1611. That's a phone uh, call that uh, you can make 24 hours a day. It's a 24-hour feedback line, so if you think of a question at uh, 2 in the morning and you you can't wait, give us a call, and we'll get to answering those as soon as they come in. All right, that's it from me, and for the rest of the folks at uh, That's in the Bible, we look forward to seeing them back in the studio and on Skype for our next episode. But until then, this is Eric from That's in the Bible, and uh, press on. Shall rise, righteous be in the skies. Go with
heavenward bound.